Welcome everyone. Nice to see everybody here tonight. I know many of you and many of you are also probably pretty new to Common Ground. So my name is Mark Nunberg and I'm the guiding teacher at the center. Some of you know we've been here since, or active since 1993, so quite a while now, and have been offering these classes all along through those years. And uh, something I've always enjoyed doing. The wonderful thing about the practice is it's really simple. It's not easy because it's not a habit, but it is simple. Oh, don't sit there. You can find a chair. There's a chair here. Yeah, there's some chairs around. And there's a feel free if you want a cushion, if you want to sit on the floor, it's really okay to walk through people to get to one of the open cushions. So one of the best things to do is just to do a little practice right at the beginning before I say too much about the practice. Don't worry about how you're sitting too much. Just sit in a way that's comfortable for yourself. You can either have your eyes lightly open, gazing toward the floor in front, or you might want to gently close your eyes. And simply notice what it is the mind's aware of. And notice, is it possible just to leave it alone? We'll just experiment with this simple instruction of being aware and leaving the object of awareness alone. So we're going to practice moving the awareness down through the body. So we'll take a few seconds and simply feel the whole head together. All of the different sensations in the head, in the brow and forehead, the temples, feeling the whole face, and see if it's possible to let the sensations be. Not to need to judge whatever it is you're feeling in the face, in the jaw, in the eyes. Feel the sides of the head and the top and back of the head. And any pressure from within the head. So in the simplest way possible, feeling the head and letting things be. It's really an act of trust. So we're trusting the sensations of the head, the face and head, and letting them be. And we can practice that with the neck, the throat, and the tops of the shoulders. So in a sense, we're allowing the awareness to soak into this, these parts of the body. Feeling the throat, feeling the sides and back of the neck, feeling the sensations along the tops of the shoulders. It's as if this is the very first time the mind's been truly interested, truly open, to how it is here. 
into mass and allowing the sensations to be. How nice it is not to have to fix not to need things to be other than what they are, how they are. Feeling the shoulders and the neck and throat and letting things be. And then allowing awareness to settle and open into the arms and hands. So feel, for example, the clothes touching the skin of the arms, any sensations in the underarms, noticing any touch points where the arms or hands are making contact, are the hands warm or cool? And feeling the subtle sensations as well as the obvious ones in the arms and hands. Is it possible to let the sensations be? Feeling the arms and hands and letting the sensations be. And now we'll do the same thing with the whole torso. So like a CAT scan, we begin at the collarbone, the upper back, and we allow the awareness to open to both the front and the back sides of the torso, and of course any sensations inside of the torso. Feeling the upper lungs, the upper ribs, willing to clearly connect with the way that it is. So we're not looking for a special experience, but just feeling the upper chest and the upper back as it is. And slowly moving down toward the mid chest and the mid back shoulder blades and the space between the shoulder blades, feeling the breastbone, feeling the structure of the rib cage and that gentle expanding and contracting with the breathing, maybe the sensations of the diaphragm moving. the solar plexus and the mid-back, kidneys, upper abdomen, beginning to open to the entire torso, front and back, feeling the belly and the lower back, <clears throat> the back of the hips and the buttocks, pubic bone and the groin, and the awareness settles into the structure of the hips, the pelvis, all the way down to the floor, 
of the pelvis. And taking the, the time to feel the entire torso from the floor of the pelvis to the base of the throat, base of the neck. Feeling this part of the body and letting the sensations be. Peacefully connecting with these sensations. And then letting the mind begin to open to the sensations in the legs. Feeling both thighs, the hip sockets down into the thighs. Of course, feeling the obvious touch points. Feel the knees as they actually are. And the shins and the calves. Opening, relaxing with the sensations in the ankles, sides of the feet and tops of the feet, bottoms of the feet and the toes. In the most simple way, receiving all the different sensations in the legs and feet, cultivating a real interest, but without any tension. Aware of the legs and feet and letting these sensations be. And we'll take another minute or two and open and feel the whole body together now. Sitting comfortably and receiving all the different sensations as they naturally come and go. Deeply trusting the body and the movement of sensation in the body. No need to judge the unpleasant sensations as being bad. We just allow the more natural flow of pleasant and neutral and unpleasant sensation. Sensations are being known. Noticing that it is possible for the mind, the heart, to be intimate with the way things are in this very simple way. And noticing that it's not really possible to stop awareness? Is there any way to shut it off? Awareness happens. 
is happening. This is what the mind does. your body as you need to now. You can open your eyes if they've been closed. Everybody have a comfortable seat. People came in late. So, again, welcome everyone. So, hopefully you realize this is the intro class, Introduction to Mindfulness Meditation, six-week class. So, we'll be here for the next six Tuesdays. It's the kind of thing that, you know, in general in our culture, we like to dabble. And I think the internet has made us bigger time dabblers, you know, where we sort of read something but don't really read anything anymore. And it can be the same with things like meditation or other things you might be interested in. So I'll say up front that anything good for us you have to think into it a little bit. And six weeks is really a minimal amount of time to give to a practice like this. There are a number of people in the room that have been in this course a number of times, and so people certainly welcome to retake the class as often, as many times as you'd like, or do other programs here. But for people who are new, I recommend that you give it six weeks before you decide whether it's something you want to develop in your life or not. And if it makes sense, the practice makes sense, at least on an intellectual level, and then maybe to the degree that you check it out and actually do some practice and it feels right, then really practice living up to it. Like, no, no, that felt right. And then we have to pour some time into it. You know, that's how it is. If we really want to make something part of our life, we have to commit. So it's nice to all of us to say, you know, Maybe it's not for everyone, and some of you will go home tonight and realize, oh, this isn't the top priority. But for many of you, it will feel like, you know, worth six weeks. So I recommend you go home and you tell yourself, I'm going to really give it six weeks. Because you know how it is. Come next Tuesday, even if you felt pretty gung-ho, there's lots of reasons not to come back. You know, it's like your favorite TV show's on, or you're a little tired from the day, or it's snowing out, or... But you want to come back anyway, you know, unless you're sick or you've got to take care of a sick child or something like that, of course. And I am recording them and we'll get them up on uh, our uh, website so you can listen also if you uh, have to miss. And that idea of commitment really needs to be grounded in the moment-to-moment -moment work of the practice, too. Because it's not enough to intellectually appreciate how much sense it makes to be fully present in life. We actually have to practice it. And a lot of people get frustrated with the practice because they think about it a lot, they study it, they read about it, they go to classes about it. But they don't feel like anything's really happening. But they're not actually doing the practice. And it's the kind of thing that 
there's no benefit with action without actually doing the practice. And so that's what I'm going to talk about, you know, over the next six weeks. Mostly what I'm going to be talking about is the formal practice. And then that formal practice actually works pretty well in daily life too. So the formal sitting meditation isn't really different than daily life practice. It's just daily life practice done in a very simple environment. That's really what distinguishes the formal meditation practice from what we'd like to be doing all day long, is that we're creating the optimal conditions in a formal meditation period. And when things are simpler, it's just easier to develop the skills. And it's the same thing with so many skills. You know, you almost always learn in a relatively simple environment. And that's what we'll be doing formally. But the idea isn't just to develop a daily sitting practice at home or here. The point is really to change the way you are through your waking day. And a formal, ideally you'd have a formal practice every day, maybe do retreats from time to time. And in those formal times, your daily sit, periodic retreat practice, meditation retreat practice, you should just be developing some momentum that will support what's of real value, which is being more mindful in life. So, <clears throat> probably you realize, but maybe a few, a few of you don't, this is a Buddhist meditation center. And Kamagram Meditation Center comes out of the Theravada Buddhist tradition. Sometimes in the States, it's called Vipassana meditation or insight meditation. So the Theravada Buddhist tradition is coming out of the kind of Buddhism that was practiced in places like Sri Lanka and Thailand and Burma, and Laos and Cambodia to some degree, and uh, came to the West partly because a lot of Westerners in the 60s joined the Peace Corps and uh, got interested in Buddhism while they were in Asia, and then eventually brought it back, and slowly it's developed, and now there are a number of these kinds of centers around. Of course, there's other forms of Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism and Zen Buddhism, that people who are interested in meditation get interested in and get their instructions from. And there's a lot of similarities. On the surface, the way people talk about practice might be quite different, and some centers might have more form or more ritual than others. But all the different Buddhist traditions Generally, the meditation practice, the mindfulness practice, comes down to the practice of non-clinging. Non We're cultivating the mind, or in a way, it's a discovery or an uncovering. We're uncovering this possibility of the mind not getting tight with experience. Still having experience, seeing, hearing, thinking, moving about but the mind not grasping or fixing, identifying, attaching with the experience that's being known. Now, the way we you know, live our life, the way our parents trained us, the way our culture trains us, grasping, reacting, clinging, pushing, pulling, struggling, comparing, judging, this is all normal. <laughs> Nobody even thinks of this necessarily as being bad. <laughs> So one of the things we're going to, one of the things that mindfulness reveals is being more present, more clear and relaxed with your experience demonstrates is how stressful these common habits are. 
the habit of struggling with experience. Like, for example, you know, you might be sitting in a way you normally don't sit, and so by now, 30 minutes in or 25 minutes in, your knee might be hurting or your back might be hurting. And, you know, that's totally normal for knees to hurt or backs to hurt. But if, we, if we're careful and watch carefully, we'll notice that the mind then begins to struggle with the painful sensations in the knee. So there's painful sensations in the knee, and then there's my mind not liking the painful sensations in my knee. And so in a sense, the mind's doing this. You know, I don't like the painful sensations in my knee. Now, how does that help us? You see, it doesn't actually affect the sensations in the knees at all. It's, a, it's an additional layer. So we have the painful sensations in the knee, and then we have this additional layer of mental stress, which is about the mind struggling or not liking or wanting to be in denial of the pain in the knee. Now that we can do something about. And that's really what the practice is centered on. And one of the things we discover is that most of the pain in life isn't about the knee pain or even the loss of a friend or the loss of a job. Most of the pain we experience is our mind not liking the ordinary ups and downs of life. Grasping when things are going really well, we grasp not wanting it to change. When things are going really badly, we grasp wanting it to be other than what it is. That suffering, that stress, is what this practice is aimed at. This practice does not change life. Life goes up and down. Everybody. Some people have lives where there's more down than up. Other people have lives more pleasant than unpleasant. But everybody's life, you know anybody who has a life that isn't going up and down. Sometimes it's really great, sometimes it's really bad. The practice is really aimed at cultivating uh, a view, a way of being, that doesn't add stress to the ups and downs of life. Ups and downs on all levels of life. Does that make sense? So then if we want to learn that way of being with life, radically present, intimate, with the normal ups and downs, the beauty and the difficult stuff in life, if we want to cultivate a life, a way of being where we're radically present, but not reacting to what we're present to. That, now, people get confused when they hear that because they think, well, if we're not reacting, that means like I'm this amazing doormat. And life just happens to me, and I have this blank affect. And people wonder, like, what kind of medication is he on? <laughs> you know, that he doesn't, you know, flinch. Fuck. <laughs> But it's not about having a flat affect where nothing matters. That's not really the practice. It's just the opposite, actually, where the heart, the mind is much more responsive because it's not weighed down by our fear and our greed, our need to have things this way or that way. So the non-reactivity isn't about non-involvement. The non-reactivity is that the heart knows, the heart is deeply invested with the truth that things come and go. And some of those things that come and go, we can 
be part of like what's happening. But a lot of what comes and goes in our life, like people liking us or people not liking us, it has nothing to do with who, what we say or what we do. It's just part of this great web of causes and conditions of stuff happening. And so if we go through life carrying this burden that I have to be in control of everything, all we do is keep adding that layer of tension all the time, over and over again. So, you know, it sounds like a cliche to say, you do what you can do and you let go. This has been an ancient teaching since the beginning of time, human time. You know, there have been always <clears throat> at least a handful of human beings that understood that all we can do is do the best we can and then let go. Now, why is that so hard for us? You know, it's not about not doing the best we can to show up, to respond to the moment, to address the moment in a way that seems skillful. And of course, our idea of what's skillful is limited by our previous experience. So sometimes we'll have more of a sense of what's skillful. Sometimes we're more shooting in the dark. It doesn't matter. We still have to respond. And not responding is a response. So there's no way to get away from our responsibility to respond. If you choose the flat affect, you know, that's a response. And you just, the question, the appropriate question is, well, how's that working? You know, does it lead to happiness? Does it lead to a fulfilling life? So it's not so much about a response. It's about this additional layer of stress we've gotten, gotten into the habit of. When we have a sense that life is hard or that there's something good to get, out of habit, we think it's appropriate to get tight. But why? Like, we could be really inspired to make something happen in our life. We really like this person. We want to connect with him or her. <clears throat> but why get tight? We don't need to get tight. It doesn't help. Or we're really afraid, you know. You know, we're having some symptoms, and it makes us seem like our friend who had the similar symptoms and then ended up getting this terrible disease. and. So we want to be really careful, you know, and monitor what's going on. <clears throat> and of course, it's appropriate that we might be afraid. There's nothing inappropriate of being fearful or the arising of fear. But do we need to take that fear and build up a sense that justifies being tight? So this is this... Um, really looking at what the Buddha calls the second dart. He has this pretty graphic image of, you know, being a human being means inevitably you're going to be hit with arrows or darts, you know. You lose a friend and that's like a dart. Or you have something great and then somebody bangs it. You know, you have a nice new car and somebody backs into it. Or common ground, you know. We had two nice computers, and then somebody broke into the building and took them a couple weeks ago. You know, these are the normal arrows. And the Buddha says what we tend to do when we get hit by an arrow is we tend to take another arrow and stick it into us. So let's be on the lookout. Formally, when we're sitting, notice how we stick a second arrow in. Like, in the beginning for you, some people at least, you know, it's a long time to sit for 30 minutes. So you're sitting there, 
calm and peaceful for a couple of minutes. You know, maybe you open your eye and you look at the rock and you realize, even though it feels like 30 minutes has gone by, it's only been three minutes. You know, 27 more minutes. See, but that thought, if you look, you'll see that that thought, 27 more minutes, that's a contraction. The mind is sitting, and it's however it is, but then the mind has a thought, I'm sitting, it's going to be 27 more minutes, and it gets tight. And we'll see it in living color because, you know, the conditions are going to be relatively simple in meditation. And those moments when the mind does the second dart, it's just going to start standing out. It's like, there we are, relatively peaceful, and a little memory flickers through the mind. Oh, yeah, she said that to me. And then we could just let that thought come and go or that image come and go, but the mind grasped it. And it thinks, it proliferates around that image, that thought. And it builds up a sense of being a person who's been harmed, who's angry. You know, we construct the reality of being a suffering being. It wasn't there a moment ago. But all of a sudden, we're all entangled, all wrapped up in this mental tension. Now, when we see how it forms, then it can release. It's the not seeing how we get into these entanglements that keeps the mind from letting go. Because when we discover that we're entangled, the first thing we do out of habit is we, we think, oh, I'm really upset. We immediately identify with the entanglement, with the drama going on in our mind. And we see it as me. I'm upset. And it doesn't feel appropriate to drop it, right? Because when I'm involved with my drama, the pain that goes with it, the tension that goes with it, seems very appropriate. It doesn't make sense to drop it. Why should I drop it? This happened to me. But when we see carefully how the mind creates suffering, we really begin to understand how the mind can let it go. The mind does not have to inhabit those stories. It's optional, actually. But hating the stories, wanting to get rid of the stories, that's just another drama. I shouldn't be thinking about this. I'm always thinking about this. See, that's another, that's not how the drama goes away. That's how you go from one drama to another drama. And this has been the basic pattern in our lives, is we swing from one drama to another drama. Eventually, this drama gets old. And we begin suspicious. Uh, but the way we get out of this drama is we create another drama. And this drama doesn't seem so heavy initially, but it's because it's fresh. This drama is old. <laughs> this has been here for 10 minutes or two days or, you know, even 20 seconds can feel a little old. So we create, we jump into another drama and then it starts to feel old and heavy and oppressive. And then we have another drama. Even the drama, God, I can't wait to get home because on Tuesday nights, this is on at 9 o'clock. Maybe I'll sneak out early, you know, so I can be home by 9 to see this. Even that kind of a drama is oppressive in the mind. You know, why does the mind need to be worrying? It doesn't take us long to plan what we do when we go home. We can do it between the time we put the key in the lock and turn it. We can sort of decide what would be the appropriate thing to do. We don't need to think it this many times. Because every time we anticipate something, we're also like pushing away this moment. 
not this, that, you know, what's in the fridge? So there's that, and we're, and that's called mental tension. That's stress and suffering. It may seem small, but cumulatively, it's huge. When we do it all the time, layer upon layer, it's a lot of mental suffering that we live with all the time. All of this, with practice, begins to dissipate. But it, it happens because the mind isn't seeing clearly. So the Buddha teaches, well then, the solution is pretty obvious. If the cause is, as the Buddha says, it makes sense to me, from my experience, if the cause is not seeing things clearly or misperceiving, like not seeing that we're sticking the second dart in us, then the solution is to pay close attention to what's happening. In order to be to pay close attention, the mind and the body needs to be relaxed and the mind needs to be alert. And in a way, initially in your practice, you only need to remember those two qualities. So all of the meditation techniques, you just want to understand them in terms of supporting more and more physical and mental relaxation and more and more mental alertness. We want mental alertness and relaxation because that helps the mind to see things as they are. When the mind sees things as they are, it doesn't get involved in unnecessary tension. And everything becomes simple, simpler, I should say, and clearer. And skillful responses to life happen more naturally. It's not even that Mark has to try to be more skillful. But when there's more alertness and relaxation, then skill just becomes second nature. Like, what's in the way of being skillful? We're just not seeing everything that there is to see. I mean, in any given moment of our life, we can only be as skillful as the information that's available, like what information we have from our past, and then, you know, the facts on the ground externally around us. So when we're fearful, when we're greedy, when the mind's tight, in a sense it's squeezing out a lot of that or uh, preventing a lot of that data from being used. We're just not there in the moment. So in the city meditation practice, we're practicing fully, completely being there by learning how to be more relaxed in the moment and more alert. And it almost sounds like two contradictory qualities. Like how can the mind be both relaxed and alert? But see, the relaxation we're talking about isn't dullness. And this is what we've begun, you know, because the mind is sloppy and, and mostly superficial, we make these assumptions that relaxation is the same as being dull. You know, two beers, a couple hours of TV, lazy boy chair, that's relaxation, right? But no, that's dullness. <laughs> you know, the mind is not really a, a, a worthwhile instrument at that point. You, like, if you had a problem to solve, you wouldn't want that mind, right? But, the, but you wouldn't want a really tight mind either. You know, there are a lot of people who are alert, but really tight. 
with the alertness. It's like if you're doing something dangerous, the habit is to be really tight and alert. But the tightness doesn't help. So how can we be really alert and really relaxed? Now in the formal meditation practice, <clears throat> we're creating conditions initially that support the relaxation. You may not believe this, especially those of you sitting on the floor, because you can say, sitting on the floor is not relaxing. <laughs> but if you do it long enough, or if your body's not built for it because you're either older or not that flexible, then you should be sitting in a chair. So you want to sit in a comfortable position, because initially the, the, the quality we want to emphasize initially is relaxation. And then once we learn how to tranquilize the body and the mind to some degree, then we start emphasizing the alertness. I mean, in a way, we're doing both right from the start. But if you come into the class and into your daily practice feeling tight, then really remember, oh yeah, it's not about being tight. And really have that relaxed attitude about the instructions, what you're doing with your mind. It's not like you're in a hurry to bring your attention to your breath. Or it's like some competing with the other, you know, 60, 70 people in the room. Like, who's going to get the award at the end of the six weeks, you know? Because this is our mode of thinking, you know, like, if I'm going to do it, I'm really going to do it. And I'm not going to be a slacker. Well, at least for some of us, you know, this sort of type A type. So we want to have a balance. More and more relaxation, balanced by more and more alertness. If it gets out of balance and there's more relaxation than alertness, you have one of the most common obstacles to meditation practice, which is falling asleep. A lot of people chronically fall asleep, or at least go into some trance state in their meditation. And they're not learning anything, because they're not alert. Their mind, they have a lot of tranquility, but the tranquility, in a sense, implodes into some unconscious state of mind. So then, of course, the idea would be to increase the energy, the effort, to raise the alertness. And the alertness will balance the energy of tranquility. And that's the whole idea. So the whole, you know, we call the, the word we use is samadhi. And sometimes it gets translated as concentration. But maybe a better word is unification. The mind, which is dissipated, scattered, superficial, all of the energies of the mind are being unified here in the present moment. And this develops a lot of power. You know, you always hear about stories, you know, mythical stories of psychic powers or, you know, powerful states of concentration. And, you know, mostly people hear that and just use it to judge themselves or to judge their meditation practice. Well, that never happens to me. But get that sense. You want to you want to get that sense that when you gather your attention and especially when you start to have some continuity of present moment awareness, mindfulness, you really start to feel how powerful the mind becomes. But all that energy that's being collected in the present moment, it's in a sense, it's in a potential state. So although there's a lot of energy, a lot of brightness, a lot of alertness, there's no agenda to it. So it's like there, but it's not tight. It's just potential energy, rested, energy in a rested state. 
but a lot of it bright but relaxed and this is what we're achieving so this is why we often use ordinary experience to develop it because ordinary experience tends to be more tranquilizing than provocative experience you know I could say okay for your meditation object you know think of a really uh, person who really makes you angry or think of somebody who you're sexually attracted to those would be provocative concentration objects because you know it would evoke tension you know, I really want that I really want to get that person but we use something like feeling the body sitting that's a neutral meditation object or we use sound right like the blower or people adjusting their postures or just that background hum that some people can hear when there's no distinct sounds happening like that so that's an ordinary experience there's nothing jazzy exciting about you know just the background hum or the feeling of the body sitting or the sensations of the breath going into the nostrils and that touching sensation as the air goes out of the nostrils that's a classic Buddhist meditation object these are very ordinary phenomena so the nice thing about it is at first it takes a lot of resolve or intention to keep bringing the attention to the object and sustaining attention with the object it has a powerful effect being learning to be alert learning to be interested and continuous with neutral objects because the continuity the sort of the mind that connects the attention that connects and sustains with the neutral object that builds the energy that builds the alertness learning how to be interested moment by moment by moment see it's not enough to know the breath in one moment because that's that moment but the body the breath the sounds it's different in the next moment if you think it's the same it's because you're not knowing the breath you're aware of your idea of the breath my idea of my breath doesn't change you know or your breath it's like a car you know we have an idea of our car but that's not actually the car or we have the idea of Minneapolis but that idea is not Minneapolis if someone used the image like a menu is not the same as eating the food you know the description on the menu and it's the same thing we want to be in that living experience of breathing or feeling the sensations of the body or hearing and cultivating alertness interest in that but because it's neutral we can also cultivate a relaxation like just trusting the breath to be what it is trusting the breath to unfold or trusting the experience of hearing to unfold trusting the sensations of the body to unfold that's why we use neutral objects to do this training because with neutral objects it's going to be easier to be non-attached with the unfolding experience to not have an agenda or an expectation it's still going to be tricky I mean even something like the breath you'll find that you often have agendas I want it to be deeper I want it to be longer I want it to be more subtle you know I want it to be smoother it's not easy to leave any when we pay attention to something it's not easy to leave it alone it's easy to leave things alone when we're not paying attention to them 
that once you pay attention to something, because of habit, that's the only reason, we want to control it. We want to fix it, we want to move it, we want to do something with it. So that's the relaxation part. Relaxation sounds easy, well yeah, I should be able to relax. But it's not actually easy to let things be. It's not the habit of the mind to let things be. The habit of the mind is to mess with things. Think about those of you who've had intimate partners, wives, husbands, lovers. You know, if you know anything about relationships, you've got to let the other person be who they are, right? But it's not easy for us to let people be who they are. Because we think we know how they could be even better. <laughs> if only this. How many relationships have been destroyed because of this habit we have? Well, just things in general that we can't leave it alone. So this is what we're practicing with our mindfulness objects, whether it's the breath, whether it's sensations in the body, or whether it's hearing. <clears throat> so these are the three meditation objects I'm offering. There are many you can use. But for the purposes of this class, I recommend that you just choose one of these three. And this is what you're going to keep bringing your attention back to. Don't worry if you get distracted, thoughts about the past, thoughts about the future, thoughts about why did I sign up for a meditation class. You notice that the mind is distracted, and then in a loving but persistent way, you bring the attention back to your, let's call it an anchor, the place you keep bringing your attention back to. So if you're feeling the body, then generally you're just feeling the body sitting, that sense of being upright in space. And then if there are other, if at some point, some particular place the body has really predominant sensations, then let that be your anchor. But generally you're just feeling the whole body together, and in particular the sense of being upright in space. That experience, that physicality of sitting, is what you pay attention to. So that's one option. The other option is also awareness of the body, but specifically the sensations related to breathing. So there are different ways to do that. One traditional way is just to feel the simple touching right here, if you're breathing through your nose, of course. So you're just feeling the air touching the skin just outside the nostrils as it goes out, feeling it, of course, as it goes in. This is a more refined object of attention, maybe harder initially, but because it's more subtle, it will help with the development of concentration. Now, some people feel the breath better in the belly, so this is fine too. But don't go back and forth. Chop around and then stick with something. So another option with the breath is just to feel the natural expansion of the abdominal wall with the in-breath, of course, and the natural contraction with the exhalation. So here, you're being mindful of the movement of the abdominal wall. That's it. It's very simple, incredibly ordinary. But if you can develop a clear and continuous, non-judging, non-controlling awareness of something like the movement of your abdominal wall, you will have learned quite a bit about the nature of the mind that will forever change your life. I guarantee it. You think this? you won't learn anything paying attention to your belly, but I guarantee you will learn more about your mind than a graduate program in psychology. Really. Because <clears throat> you're not just feeling the belly. One of the things we realize as we pay more and more attention to the present moment, and that's really what we're doing. We think the object 
of meditation is the movement of the abdominal wall or the feeling of the air touching as it goes in and out or feeling the body in space or the third I'll just mention being aware of sounds not particular sounds but like an orchestra you're hearing everything together right you're not like what was that what's going on over there it's like sitting back in the space of hearing you know and just the movement of sound just the coming and going because where is sound happening by the way we think it's happening out there but where actually is sound happening yeah it's happening here in the mind right so we can just rest in the mind where the sound is happening we don't have to energetically think oh I got to go out to where that car sound is coming from you know that's called grasping it's subtle but that's grasping we can be relaxed and in a way receive the sensations of the breath receive the sensations of the body receive the hearing experience we don't have to energetically think we got to go to the breath I got to bring my attention to the tip of my nostrils I have to bring my attention to the body that's just mental construction we don't need to think that way so when we're when we do learn how to be mindful present we're really the object is actually the present moment what we're really opening to is not so much the belly moving or hearing we're, we're opening to the way it is in Buddhism we have a word for it Dhamma the way that it is the nature of things and this reveals the nature of the mind like I mentioned with hearing and breathing our whole world where is our where's our whole world being known in our mind now I'm not saying there isn't any external reality right but all we know is what the mind knows right that's all we know we imagine that the internal experiencing represents something externally but all of that imagining is just thought and where's that thought happening here so in a practice sense in a in a more accurate sense there's only this being known so whatever this world is and it doesn't actually help to have discussions about this but whatever this world is the actual fact is it's just something being known here and by here I mean the present moment or this you can call this the mind or you can call it the present moment but whatever it is it's this and this is where things are being known and that's all there is this being known and so this is actually the object and the working with the breath in the belly or at the nose or working with the sensations of the body or working with hearing one of these three anchors it's just a means a skillful means to opening to Dhamma the way that it is which leads to having insight the Buddha says the problem is the mind doesn't understand what's happening because it's superficial and it's caught in these patterns of creating tension through greed and aversion you know grabbing after things we want pushing away things we don't want it's distracted by that pushing and pulling so that it stays superficial the whole life and because it's superficial and reactive it doesn't really understand what's going on and because it doesn't really understand what's going on its response to life is off 
the word dukkha or suffering in Pali, it really comes from this word uh, of a wheel that's out of true. You know, if, you, if you're riding a bike but the wheel isn't round, it's like very uncomfortable. Or, you know, if you get one of those little bulges in your car tire and you drive, I mean, once you get a certain speed, the vibration is unbearable. It feels like the whole thing's going to fall apart. So that's a, it's actually a powerful image. It's like when, when we've got a notion, a superficial notion about what's going on here, and we live our life accordingly, and it doesn't actually fit with what's actually happening, our life is pretty rough. You know, we keep bumping up against life, having problems with life, feeling betrayed by life. And we always think the problem is where? Out there. And even if we think the problem, like something I did, we even externalize yourself, like, you idiot. <laughs> so it doesn't matter if we're sort of pointing to our friend being the idiot or pointing to us or the world at large being the idiot. We constantly externalize it. We don't realize that the problem is the lack of understanding. There's something that's not being seen. So I'll leave it here. We'll stretch out a little bit. And then we'll do some practice before we end tonight. So why don't we stand up for a while. We'll give me a chance. Feel free to stretch your body any way you need. And give me a chance to mention that, like I said at the beginning, this practice that we're learning, it's going to be available in any posture. You don't need to be sitting like the Buddha, you know, the statue. Be mindful. You can be mindful walking. You can be mindful lying down. You can be mindful sitting. You can be mindful standing. And this is the idea. So whatever you're learning formally, and whatever you're practicing formally during your formal sitting time at home, also experiment all the time, basically anytime you remember. And just modify the instructions to fit the situation here. So like, for example, if your primary anchor is feeling the breath at the nostrils, now when you're kind of going about your busy day, that's like I mentioned earlier, that's a pretty refined object of awareness. So you might need to open it up a little bit. Like, just feel your body moving through space. So it may not be your primary anchor, but as you're going about your day and closing the closet door and reaching for this and bending over, all of those movements can be moments of mindfulness where what are you practicing? Being really alert and really relaxed. Those are the only, right now, the only two qualities you need to remember. You're, we're working on attention, developing this balanced attention. And the way to think about the balance is lots and lots and lots of alertness and lots and lots and lots of relaxation. Body and mind relaxing. And the relaxation, it really helps to use the body because it's not easy for us to initially to understand what it means for the mind to be relaxed, but all of us know what it means for the body to be relaxed. And you know, the body and the mind, they parallel each other quite a bit. So if we remember the body to relax, the mind will follow. Honey, it's okay to relax. I mean, can you imagine if that was our habit, to repeat that to ourselves uh, 250 times each day? Honey, it's okay to relax. I mean, just that alone would be so useful. And if we could combine that with, honey, it's 
probably good to pay attention now. <laughs> it's probably good to really show up, to really notice. And in particular, with alertness, we use things like being alert to the touching of air here. But what we really want to be alert to is the mind itself. What is the mind doing? Honey, what is the mind doing now? What is the mind doing now? Like literally now. Like what is your mind doing now? Oh, this is stupid. Or this is great. Not to judge it, but wouldn't it make sense that we'd want to know what the mind is doing? The, the strange thing is there's this habit, it's almost like a fear, we're afraid to notice or look at what the mind is doing. It's like, no, right there. Like, that's off limits. It feels a little self-conscious at first to be interested in what the mind's doing. Because we take that mind activity so personally that the assumption is we shouldn't have to look at what the mind's doing. But the fact is, that mental activity isn't personal at all. It's just habit. It's just something that's been set in motion. So it's actually very, very important to be aware of what the mind's doing and to see it objectively, not to judge it, not to be for or against it. So when the mind is complaining, there's an awareness. Complaining's like this. When the mind is judging, the mind knows judging's like this. When there's a, a sort of a natural sense of gratitude, the mind just knows. So, gratefulness is like this. It sounds, when you talk about it, it sounds a little bit uh, <clears throat> um, like we're stepping back in a way. But you'll see it's the most natural thing. Not being aware of what the mind is doing is unnatural, but it is our habit. <laughs> and being aware of what the mind is doing is very natural. So. Ultimately, this is where the alertness is going, to be aware of what the mind is doing moment by moment by moment. But because it's so challenging to do that, we start by just being aware of the breath going in, alert to the breath going out, alert to the breath going in. And you'll see that you can't be alert, really open and interested with one aspect of reality without being interested and alert to the whole thing. Reality isn't actually compartmentalized as we imagine it is. When you become really intimate to hearing, to breathing, or feeling the body, you become intimate with all things. And you'll just notice this in your practice. So you've got blood in your legs, you're ready to sit again. So we'll sit and we'll practice for about 20 minutes and I'll give some basic instructions. And you'll find these instructions in one of the handouts up there. And so you don't need to worry about remembering them. You can always reread the instructions as many times as you find useful. And uh, this talk will be online eventually. And there are other intro classes that are already on the website if you want to get some guided meditations there. <clears throat> It's always nice to take some time, listen to the body. Next week I'll talk more about posture, but just do your best to feel stable, relaxed, releasing any unnecessary tension in the eyes and the shoulders, throughout the body, belly. In a way, you can support this settling or this grounding into the body by taking a few deep, full breaths where you're actually 
in an easy way, filling the lungs to the capacity and then emptying the lungs completely, maybe three or four times. You can really slow it down if you like. And we're just using the deep breathing to come more into the present moment, into the experience of sitting. As if you have all the time in the world to slowly fill and empty the lungs one more time. Eventually, you can let the breath return to normal. Trust the body to do the breathing. And I'm going to ring the bell three times and just practice a little sound meditation, hearing meditation. Practice receiving the movement of sounds. continue for another several minutes experimenting with this particular anchor just to get a sense of what it's like to open to hearing. The eyes can be lightly closed or gently open. Either way is okay. And rediscovering this receptive quality of the mind, the quality that can receive sounds just as they are and let them be. Totally inclusive. this simple sense that hearing is like this. Hearing is being known. And whenever distractions arise, if they're minor distractions, just let them happen in the background. Little thoughts might flitter by. 
But if the distraction is more predominant, then take a moment and just notice that the distraction is being known, whether it's pain in the knee or disturbing thought. Thinking is being known. And then when you come back to the anchor, hearing. And is it possible to more thoroughly rest in the experience of hearing? mind interested, alert, continuous, and relaxed. And learn that it's okay to start over again. Every time the mind has gotten caught up, distracted, as soon as you notice that, that's okay. In fact, noticing that you've been distracted is a moment of mindfulness. So it's appropriate to be appreciative. Oh yeah, here and now again. And then once again, open to the experience of hearing. See if it's possible to more fully relax, to be interested. And we can now practice with awareness of the body. So in a simple way, the awareness opens to the body sitting. Almost as if this is the very first time feeling the body sitting. So that fresh interest feel the whole body alive with sensations and let the mind be open and receptive not needing to block off or fix instead willing to feel things as they actually are in the body it's possible for periods of time at least to have a continuity of this simple, clear, and relaxed attention.
And remember, whenever the mind is strongly distracted, it's totally appropriate to turn the attention and to notice that being distracted is like this. And you can even name the distraction if it's helpful. So for example, if you notice the mind is judging something, you could just say, oh, judging. Just judging being known. Just to clarify what's happening in the moment. And as soon as the distraction is no longer predominant, then let the attention go back to the anchor. So now we're working with the whole body sitting. Sitting is like this. Is it possible to more fully relax with the experience of the body being like this now? Trusting it to be the way that it is? learning that it's possible to return the awareness to the body, to be fully present, alert, and relaxed with the experience. The body's like this now. The body is being known. It's like this. Can this be okay? And in a more refined way, we can practice with the sensations of breathing. So traditionally feeling the breath at the nostrils or down in the belly as the movement of the abdominal wall. Or however it's easy for you to feel the movement of the breath in the body. Choosing a particular way to tune into the movement of the breath. And then simply practice receiving this refined experience 
this movement of breathing. Feel the breath coming in, feeling the actual sensations of the breath going out. Is it possible to be alert with the breathing process without needing to control it? Just let it come in, let it go out. And it can be quite useful to use meditation words from time to time. So for example, to simply note the in and out of each breath can help support the alertness. 
So almost like a quiet whisper in the back of the mind, in, out. Or if you're feeling the breath in the belly, you can note rising, falling. And for the last couple of minutes, being interested in the continuity of mindfulness. It doesn't mean the mind doesn't have distractions arising, but even if distractions arise, the mind isn't confused by them. So it knows that thinking is like this, worrying is like this, and then back to the breath, for example, breathing in, breathing out, Breathing in. So for the last two minutes or so, experiment with a full, clear, continuous awareness.
and now to support our daily life practice, we'll take the last few seconds. You can open your eyes if they can close without looking around, just gazing toward the floor in front. Letting go of any particular meditation technique now. So there's just a simple sense of being present, relaxed, alert, letting things be. Clearly understanding that this is how it is now. Can this be okay? Again, feel free to adjust the body. We have a couple minutes left. A couple more nuts and bolts. So there are four handouts, or two handouts, double-sided out on the table in the entrance. One sheet has uh, some basic instructions. You can read through that. Just one approach to mindfulness meditation, similar to what I did tonight. Some some differences. The other sheet has some notes about why meditate. And maybe next week we'll have more time to talk about those notes. And then on the other side is just some background about common ground. And uh, we really, the leaders here at Common Ground and teachers here, we really like being able to offer the classes free of charge. We've been doing that since the very beginning in 1993. And it really depends on people responding in a way that feels good in your life. And of course, I don't know what that means, but everyone has to figure that out. And if you give too much, it's not going to feel good. If you don't contribute in a way that works in your life, that's not going to feel good either. So everybody has to find a way that that makes sense. And that sheet just describes kind of how the system, we call it dana, which is the Pali word for generosity, how that works at the center. And you can always ask me if you have any specific questions about that. So any questions? We just have a couple minutes, maybe time for one or possibly two comments or questions from your sit tonight. And just to say, this is going to be a really uh, important part of the next five weeks to hear from people. So your experiences at home, your experiences here when we're sitting together. So we're always going to have at least 10 to 20 minutes every night to hear people's comments and questions. So don't be shy. It really, it's useful for people to hear. So maybe time for one now. Anything you experienced or questions you have about the instructions that seem relevant? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you get great information. 
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.